Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Michael Beckerman. Welcome to my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where I talk to leaders who are helping to decarbonize the built world. If you've been following this podcast, I tend to interview leaders from the real estate side of the industry and venture, of course. And I, ha- I haven't been interviewing many tech companies because no disrespect to the tech companies and the startups, but this mission about raising awareness and education about the built world's responsibility and opportunity as relates to climate technologies and climate change really, I think, is best comes from those that are in the position to make the biggest impact, to invest, to adopt these technologies. But uh, every once in a while, there's a a startup that I either have been paying attention to and following with great interest or comes across my radar screen. And today, I'm thrilled to have Deep Singh, who is the CEO and founder of 75F, an IoT-based building management system aimed at increasing energy efficiency, indoor air quality, and comfort in buildings. And Deep is somebody that I, I connected with a couple of years ago, was introduced to him by good friend Travis Connors of Building ventures. And the progress has been extraordinary. I find him to be one of the the most thoughtful, interesting, and engaging founders that I've met in this journey, both on Cretech and Cretech Climate. So it's my pleasure today to welcome uh, Deep to the podcast. Michael, great to be here and uh, very humbled. Thank you for making that exception and uh, and getting me on uh, as a startup founder on, on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. I, as I said, I've been following your progress from, I think, when we first connected a, maybe a, a year or two ago, and it's been remarkable. So I really want to start by unpacking just your story, Deep. You know, tell us before the founding of 75F, what were you doing previously in your career up to, to the founding of the tech platform? I'm not actually from climate tech or buildings at all. Uh, I'm a network geek. Right? So if uh, any of you use Verizon, there's a decent chance it goes over a backhaul that I did. Uh, my claim to fame is that I had one of the world's first terabit routers sitting in my garage for five years. It just happened that my daughter was one and we moved her into her own bedroom. Uh, she would wake up in the middle of the night crying and I found it's because the temperature in her room was dropping about 10 degrees at night. So as a self-respecting engineer, I, I quit my job to fix the damn problem, which is why we're talking today. Scratch the itch, as they say, right? <laughs> so, so tell us, like, um, about the formation of seventy five F. What was the big idea initially? What What was the problem you set out to solve, and how'd you do it? I mean, when we started, it was very simple. It was a personal problem, right, with my daughter. So, we were making these zone controlled solutions for residential homes, right? So, uh, really, kind of like uh, this combo on Keen Home that is making something similar. So, motorized winds. We took it to a certain stage, but we found there's just too many problems in the residential market. There's not enough uh, uniformity in the size of the ducts, etc. But as I embarked on this journey, I found that the commercial buildings, the amount of emissions that we are creating is actually much larger 
than what's there on the residential system, right? So it's a much bigger problem. And it's kind of interesting that even in commercial buildings, you end up having so many temperature variations and people being uncomfortable all the time. So originally started as a comfort issue, but as we started delving deeper into this, we found that the same technologies, the same ideas that make people more comfortable are the same ones that actually save more energy, right? And that was kind of an aha moment because obviously when people are using sweaters in the summer or they're, uh, or they're really trying to open up windows in the winter, that tells you that something is a mess, right? It's, it's not going to be saving energy. So that's where we originally started for very small, light commercial buildings. Now, of course, we, we scale that quite a bit more. What I'm always fascinated about, Deep, is that part that you, you just mentioned about scaling, right? Because this is an industry, as you know, the commercial real estate industry, multifamily, office, you know, uh, retail, hospitality, logistics, that has historically always underinvested in technology, right? And were it not for a horrific event like COVID, I don't know we would have seen the progress that we've seen in adoption of tech overall. And then, of course, you're in a space, energy management, et cetera, that is even probably harder you know, to get adoption because, you know, climate technologies, et cetera, they're not, they have not been sustainability on anybody's radar screen really up until recently. So how have you been able to scale? What kind of lessons have you learned along the way that might, you know, benefit others who are listening, you know, entering the marketplace? It's an interesting observation, Mike. And then I don't know, maybe you have a better sense of the history on why the industry doesn't really adopt uh, these technologies. I, I have my theories. And I think one of it is that this just is such a long stability phase, right? The equipment itself lasts for such a long time that people are not necessarily willing to upgrade like a phone, right? So generally speaking, the technology adoption cycle means that they want to put it in once and then they want to forget about it because at that point, it's just an additional cost to be incurred. Now, the other interesting thing is we've had this hype cycle with clean tech. We've actually had technologies which promised to save a lot and then didn't necessarily deliver. Right. But if you look at like what Gartner called the technology hype cycle, I think we've been back in the trough and now we're coming to the reality part where people are actually delivering on the original vision and promises. We've seen that like solar, the panels were invented in the sixties, right? But it wasn't until 2012, 2014 where we actually became competitive enough with incumbent technologies that it could go. So energy efficiency as well in intelligent buildings. We've been talking about intelligent buildings for a long time. Right. I just believe the key there has been the cost implementing and the payback period, right? If it doesn't make commercial sense, then there's a lot of green premium that you have to pay. And most people are not willing to pay that. Mm, I think you're absolutely right. And so tell us, what was the impact COVID had on your business? Because clearly now as somebody that's been in the space for, you know, the energy efficiency, energy management, IOT, uh, intelligent building space for a while, got to imagine that you've never had such a heightened sense of awareness about healthy buildings as we have today, both politically, both financially, both from a, a consumer point of view. So what, what has COVID meant to your business and what does this kind of new climate mean as well? You're absolutely right. That I mean, overall, no one knew about HVAC before a year and a half ago, and now it's on everyone's mind, right? So one of the key things we did is we implemented, we followed the CDC and ASHRAE guidelines and made sure that all of our customers could get free over-the-air updates so that their buildings could at least be healthy, right? So we introduced something called Epidemic Mode, which specifically followed these guidelines. And it was kind of interesting because we had some customers in private schools who kept their schools open when the public school system was shut down, right? Because mm -hmm. they really believed in this whole concept of in-person 
uh, learning. And they were able to do this successfully without any transmission of disease within their buildings, within the school building. So, I mean, there was a good ratification that if you take the right amount, appropriate strategies, the pandemic is not something that we have to be indefinitely, indiscriminately be scared of, mm. right? So as long as you follow the science. So that's what we did. And so you were right. And one of the things which is coming out of the, the pandemic is this heightened awareness, not only for what I would call green assets, but this concept that we've heard consistently of clean assets, mm. right? So people want healthier buildings. They want things which are more productive with better indoor air quality. And, and the key thing that, uh, going back to what I mentioned originally is that the same technologies that make people more comfortable can be the ones which actually make you feel are safer and save you the energy, right? So if you believe in an IoT based or internet of things based building management system that can continuously keep on updating the sequences based on the conditions, I think to us, that's the key, right? You really want to harness that technology curve. If you think I'm a technologist, right? So my biggest thing that I keep thinking of is Moore's law, mm-hmm. right? If you think about how much CO2 or greenhouse gases we are emitting into the, into the atmosphere, they actually follow this logarithmic curve. But if you look at the only known curve that we as humans have invented, which matches that is actually Moore's law, the technology, the number of calculations that you can do for a constant dollar in a single second, right? So if you marry the two, if you can harness the technology to actually deliver and match and overcome the GHG emission, I believe that's the way to go. And I think it's one of those places where you can eat your pie and have it too. You know, um, the bulk of our audience at Cretech is, is going to be on the landlord side. It's going to be on the ownership side, whether it's an asset management firm or a REIT or a private developer owner. And so they're hopefully listening to this podcast. And are there some specific examples, case studies, customers that you could highlight? Because again, the more specificity that we can offer, the better that we're going to get your solutions as well as many, many others adopted. So maybe just share some high level use cases. One of the interesting companies that we've actually worked with is some uh, locally here in Minnesota and the Midwest is a company called Home Furniture. So Home Furniture, they have a large, large box retail store outlets. And what was interesting is they were already sustainability focused, right? So they mm-hmm. actually used a third party company called Energy Print for making sure that they could validate how much energy they were using over years. So they had like, I don't know, 12 years of historical energy use. So we started a pilot with Home Furniture. We implemented one of the sites, about 200,000 square feet. The total cost of the rebates was probably about $55,000. Right? What was interesting is that over time, we have saved them somewhere in the region of about $130,000 over 27 months. Wow. So, so the payback period in this case was just about a year. Home Furniture is a pretty classic example. And what we really ended up doing is implementing our solution and was about $53,000 after rebates. Right. And over time, over the last 27 months, they've saved about $130,000. So the system paid for itself in just about a year. These results, it's not common to have a one-year payback, but two years is very common with a solution like ours. And I think that's been the key to what we've done is that you want to have something that actually can give you this hard commercial payback and ROI, which is two to three years, right? Because anything beyond three years is just beyond the horizon of most people. And, and that plays well even into tenants' ESG goals, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a tenant and you still have three years left on your lease, you don't even have to think twice that you could implement a solution, not as a building owner, but as a tenant in your space, meet your ESG goals and know that you would actually have a positive outcome even on the ROI. 
payback period over there. So you come out ahead. So that's an interesting value proposition. Now, the interesting thing is that their energy star score started at 68 when we started, right? So it's continuously been improving because of how efficiently we've been able to run the building. So they're now at a score of 92. Wow. Right, which is absolutely amazing. So, I mean, what it's done is, yes, they've saved $130,000 in hard costs, but more importantly, what it's done is the real estate itself has appreciated just because their energy star score has gone up so dramatically. Right. So, as I said, it could be a win-win solution for everyone involved. Right. Your occupants inside are feeling more comfortable. And even during the pandemic, it's kind of interesting. Home furniture was able to get an exception. And while the rest of the retail market was shut down, they were actually able to keep their stores open because they had that epidemic mode going on. So they were able to extend their shopping season so as well. So it's an interesting, I think, a trifecta of benefits which could come in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's that's great, Deep. And I think that this mission that I'm on about trying to get the real estate industry to decarbonize and to embrace technologies like yours and others, you know, if I went out and I started, you know, preaching the moral responsibility, I'm going to get nowhere. That's not going to drive and move the needle and drive change in investment and adoption. And I think you're right. The way you articulate it in terms of a value proposition and a measurable, tangible ROI is what I think the industry needs to hear more over and over again. So I, I think that's a really compelling message. The other thing I wanted is just to talk about it briefly with you, Deep, was, you know, I, I feel that, you know, in the world of, of climate tech, the role of the investor is as important as any other category, perhaps probably even more so, right? Just because of the sort of the institutional knowledge and the importance of that capital and that intelligent capital helping companies like yourself scale. Whereas I think like in the tech world, listen, a lot of times it's just sort of like, gas in the car, in the rocket, you know, to take off. But it's much more than that, I've sensed, in the climate tech space. And you've been very fortunate and successful in raising money from, I think you've raised about $30 million or something like that to date, if I'm correct. Bill Gates' breakthrough ventures, I think, is in there. And our good friend, mutual good friend, Travis Connors of Building Ventures. What could you say or, or sort of highlight about what it means to have investors like you have in the company and helping you scale this platform? I think even from the first day, it's been important. Since I didn't come from this industry, one of the key things we always lacked was credibility, mm. right? So when you go over to a facility manager and you're not from the industry, uh, they don't really take you very seriously, right? So I've grown a few white hairs since then. <laughs> not as many as me, man. I don't see any. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that was, I think, an important lesson for me that what we wanted to do was get marquee people who could come in and we could actually stand on their shoulders, so to say, right? We started with, in fact, the very first person I took external investment from was a gentleman called Jay Schrankler, who was the general manager of Honeywell Controls, right? So even as an angel investor, it was a fairly deliberate strategy that you want to get the right kind of people behind you, right? People who are well-known, but also people who care about the things in terms of having the same end goals in terms of climate tech or, or the GHG emission goals as well, right? So we scaled that beyond to Rise of the Rest, Steve Case. Right, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned Steve Case, Rise of the Rest, absolutely. A big one, Clean Energy Trust, again in the Midwest, very focused on this. So great set of folks. And then, of course, we, we got this investment from Breakthrough Energy Ventures, OGCS, Climate Investment, and, and Building Ventures. And I mean, all of them have been absolutely phenomenal. As you said, what you want is to, Steve Case talks about what's called the third wave. Mm -hmm. is the third wave of the internet is really going to be people 
who are going to persevere, who are going to do the right kind of partnerships and who have the advantage of the right kind of policies connecting them. Right. So I see that whole trifecta coming in together now. We haven't had this confluence in the clean energy space for a long period of time. I think all of a sudden the stars are aligning and and perhaps we'll see a huge amount of improvement in, in outcomes. Ah, that's great. That's really great. The other thing I wanted to talk about is you've been incredibly successful at um, some awards that you've won, such as the uh, 2021 Bloomberg NEF Pioneer Award, 2021 Clean Tech Top 100 Company. I think you're in the uh, Clean Fight New York, good friends of ours as well. And then the Google Climate Change Accelerator. Can you talk about you know all of those awards, what they kind of mean to you, and uh, specifically a little bit about the uh, Google Climate Change Accelerator? Sure. All of this, again, is going back to some sense of ratification or validation of what we've done, right? So when we apply to this, uh, it's one of the things earlier on we realized is that if you win the right amount of awards, the recognition, that goes back to the credibility piece, right? So it's been a fairly deliberate piece in our way of thinking about it, that if you want success, then you also want to make sure that it is well recognized, right? And we've been very fortunate, as you said, uh, with with some of the rewards and recognition that we've received. The Google uh, climate change is very interesting. It's, it's Google's way of paying back to the community. And what they're doing is taking along a cohort of uh, startups and they're deploying their own resources, making available people as well as processing power to make sure that if you have gnarly challenges, specifically around uh, artificial intelligence, that they would actually help with their folks coming in and working on the algorithms and having a very definitive outcome. And it's been very instructive because uh, one of the things we did is uh, we actually followed Google has what's called OKRs, right? Objectives and key results. So even in the accelerator program itself, we've actually had very clearly defined OKRs so that the mission and the outcomes are very, very clearly defined. So you know what success looks like. And, and that's been, an, I think, a very instructive way of looking at it, very methodical and also very helpful. As I've embarked on this journey, Cretech uh, Climate, I'm struck by the enormity and the scale of the problem and what it's going to take to get the real estate industry, the built world, which is 40% of all carbon emissions as a sector to embrace these technologies. And, you know, for me, this is clearly not a, a greenwashing or a, a bullshit PR exercise. I mean, I want this to be my, my legacy that when my kids look back, they said, you know, when their dad knew, when he knew the facts, cause he believes in science and he believes in climate change, he, he tried to do something in his small way. What does success mean to you deep in terms of what you're doing at 75F? When do you feel that you, you know, made that impact? Is there a specific number in mind, a target of square footage or buildings or a, what does success mean to you with what you're doing now? Michael, I think that's a very interesting question. I think and it's very, for me, my path parallels yours very closely, especially talking about the children, about the future, right? So I don't come from this industry, but it has become a legacy. This, uh, this is my sixth startup that I've been a part of. I've never been a CEO, but I've been on the tech side. So normally you go in a startup and you normally try to turn it around, sell it and be done in a few years, right? But this case it really set out to prove a point. And as I said, it is becoming that legacy project that one that you cannot make a mark with. So for us, I said 75F, the key piece is what we say that we want to transform building controls and do it forever. 
We've had acquisition offers, but we didn't feel that there was going to be enough of partnership or the technology was not necessarily going to be allowed to scale as much as we think it should. I think it, that in about 10 years, all of us are going to be in driverless cars, right? If you're going to have a fully automated vehicle, it's kind of weird that you could be in that vehicle, but buildings are going to continue to run the way they are. I yeah. can't imagine that world. I think somebody is going to come in and transform it. Right. I believe that 75F is going to be that company. So that's our mission is really to transform building controls and do it forever. And that scale really looks like for us is about 100 million square feet is where we believe that we will have reached that thing that where we are known and the rest of the industry starts taking notice and it's no longer reversible. And I have no doubt, my friend, you'll achieve that. Could you finally just a bit of a plug, a bit of an infomercial, which I'd love to just hear a little bit about what is the sort of the product roadmap look like so that the audience that want, you know, can get excited about what's coming out of 75F over the next couple of years. And you don't have to give away the playbook, but I'd love to just sort of understand where your head's at as an engineer by training, what you're focused on, on the sort of the product horizon. So we could kind of get a sense of the vision. And I'll start perhaps, Michael, with saying, like, what is it that we really do? I mean, we provide a completely integrated building management solution that includes the hardware, the software, the algorithms, the analytics, all baked in, right? So our claim is really that it's the IoT-based BMS that works out of the box, right? So the problem that we're really trying to solve is that so much of the building management solutions and building intelligence these days is still about system integration. Right. The reason, primary reason things don't really work as well is because you're relying on a lot of manual intervention to make these things happen. So the algorithms, the programming itself is extremely, in some ways, non-scalable. So what we've done is we've bundled all of those algorithms and we put them into software and the machine learning and AI so that it can scale without necessarily requiring human intervention. You can also take people who are not necessarily conversant with building controls and give them the tools to go put in solutions that are continuously going to keep getting better. And that's an important piece, mm. right? So that over the air updates that as we, our understanding of a building improves, our, our algorithms improves, we keep on updating our systems all the time. And so we make the claim that at this point, we have the most energy efficient algorithms of any building management solution. And our claim our plan is really the roadmap is to be the best BMS in the world, period. Right. So that's where we really are headed. And so in terms of scalability, one of the key things that we want to tackle is we started with buildings which are relatively small. So buildings under 10,000 square feet is where we started. Right. But over time, the key thing that we've seen is there's a very large gap for buildings, not necessarily super small but between under 250,000 square feet, right? About 84% of those buildings don't have any BMS. So we are a really good fit for buildings which scale all the way from about 10,000 square feet all the way over to some of the larger customers we are in are over a million square feet, right? And normal BMSs cannot scale that way. The only way you can do that is if you have an IoT BMS and that has this ability to either have a large number of smaller sites or one larger smaller number of larger sites, right? That can only happen, in my opinion, with cloud computing and some of the architectures that we have introduced that traditional BMS systems don't really address. 
So I'll get off my soapbox. I'm no, man, it's it's fascinating. It's terrific. And it's good because, uh, you know, listening to you talk deep, it's clear that you're, you're just getting started, right? And I know you've been building the company and you've got a great team around you and a great product, but it's, it's clear that, uh, we really haven't seen much from you yet based on what, you know, your big vision is. So that's very, very helpful. So deep. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I, as always, I leave every one of our conversations better informed and inspired by the future with leaders like you, you know, focusing in on the built world and the opportunities that it has to address climate change, create healthier spaces for everybody that's living and working in them and uh, hope for our planet and for our future generations. So keep up the good work and thanks again for spending some time with me today. Michael, thank you so much for having me. It's kind of interesting you talked about this. So one of the quotes that keeps me going, I I hadn't picked it up before I started this journey, but I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's like life is meant to be lived. But if you live your life without making a difference, it makes no difference if you live. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I'm really humbled by what you do, uh, like the message and the meaning and the mission. So thank you for having me. Awesome, Deep. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Good seeing you. Good talking to you, my friend. Cheers. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.